thinking three again. Missed one a few moments ago. There it is, and down it goes for his first NBA hoop. I don't want to call it today, you know, I just made it rain. Hold me back, fam! A below average three-point shooter. There's Simmons. I got 50 biscuits. Hello and welcome back to the PicSwap Podcast. I am James Brain. I'm here with my esteemed partner, Sean Bernard. How's it going, Sean? Not as great as it has been, I'm not going to lie. Uh, brutal one to lose that to the Nuggets like that. Brutal being up 19 just hurts. Just hurts in all the, the Jokic and Bede stuff and just everything that comes with it. Great game entertainment-wise. Very fun to watch, but last night took the life out of me a little bit. Yeah, man, uh, a tough little stretch here for our boys. Um, but before we get started today, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA Jokic. We're going to talk about Harden, the bench struggles last night. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on the Nets game. It feels we're far removed from that. Well, we haven't had a chance to discuss that. Um, and then, you know, the ever controversial Doc Rivers conversation will come up as well. Uh, so stay tuned for all that. Before we get started today, we do want to thank our sponsor, BetUS, the leading sportsbook and casino in the country right now. Uh, we're growing fast. We're really happy to be a part of it. You can use our code PICKSWAP at sign up. Get your first bet risk-free up to $500. They're now doing parlays, or I'm sorry, uh, player props, which we're really happy about because you guys are familiar with our PICKSWAP parlays, uh, which were normally used with player props. So stay tuned for that. Use our code PICKSWAP at sign up for risk-free up to $500 on your first bet. So let's talk about this game uh, last night. You know, a lot of hype coming in. A lot of conversations around the big men, the uh, Embiid and Jokic haven't played against each other for a number of. Uh, when was the last time? It was before COVID, so yeah, they haven't really actually matched up in a in a very long time. Jokic, obviously the reigning MVP, Joel, uh, the the runner up last year and leading the charge for the MB, MVP case this year. Um, just talk about that matchup between the two of them. What did you see last night? Um, and the you know the conversation and the narratives that have come out. Um, of the performance last night. Yeah, I mean, so to start off with looking at the numbers, so Jokic ended with uh, 22 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, uh, Embiid with 34 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks. When looking at the numbers of those two matched up, uh, Jokic within 28 and a half possessions had 13 points, 1 assist, 3 turnovers, and was 5 of 7 when matched up against Embiid versus Embiid in 34.8 possessions had 23 points, uh, two turnovers, nine of fifteen from the field, three of three from three, and those uh, stats are from at Mr. Crockpot. So make sure you check him out on Twitter as well. Awesome dude. Uh, as far as the matchup specifically, I mean, the first thing is both these guys are so good at basketball, and it's so cool to see such an elite level being played by the big man in an era where we've seen kind of the big man being phased out in a way. So to see them just being able to assert their dominance in their own unique ways is very cool. I mean, you can. I, I guess my biggest takeaway when looking at it. Joel Embiid's the better basketball player, but the Nuggets are the better team. And I, I think Embiid absolutely showed up ready to play last night. He, You saw right from the beginning, the step back three in the first quarter was when I had kind of like, a, all right, he's locked in, ready to go. And battled foul trouble throughout the game. Still found a way to be impactful defensively. Very cool play early on where they were literally calling screens for Jokic down low. Embiid's chasing around for the screen. They drop it in the post, and Embiid just pokes it out from behind for the steal. It was awesome to see those guys go at it. They don't get to do it enough because of the – obviously in other conferences and Jokic just some beautiful full court passes, some very unique dimes in the way he's fitting things in. It's very cool to me to see just how they both dominate in such different ways. And 
obviously the the story is that the Nuggets pulled out a win. They found a way to come back. There was a lot that went into it. I mean, De- DeAndre Jordan could not when the when the minutes got staggered. It was the DeAndre Jordan versus Nikola Jokic that wasn't remotely close. Jokic ate there. We saw the bench minutes. The Nuggets completely won that battle. So I guess in overall in the MVP convo. I mean, this is one game in a long haul. It shouldn't count for everything. I do think Embiid had the better game out of the two, but obviously the Nuggets came out on top. Yeah. Um, like you said, I mean, when you when you check the the comparisons between the two of them from last night, and Embiid played much better. Um I I wrote in the recap last night that I wrote, it was just like I think the narratives are gonna get uh mis like uh misconceived the way that that, that game went. I don't think it's gonna tell the full story. Um, yeah. When they were matched up one on one, and Embiid was the better player, like you said. And um, coming into today, I haven't really tried to. I've tried to avoid like the national media as much as possible, and I just have really, you know, given up on the debate of it. You know, they're they're two incredible players that show constant love to each other. Yeah, uh, they've both mentioned so many times how great the other is, and we're talking about in a game today that's predicated on three point shooting, space, and pace. Uh, two guys that are dominating the game and include Giannis in that as well. Uh, big guys that are changing the way the game is played and changing the way uh, the importance of the game, who's important, and they're sticking out in a in a field where they're really rare. Uh, so to look at that game last night and to come out of it trying to trash one guy or uh, lift up the other, I think is the wrong way to do it. I think the right way to do it is to, is to see the greatness out of those two and uh, you know pick up on the fact that this is a generational talent for the Sixers and also a generational talent for the Nuggets as well. Um, but defensively, I think, is where you see the biggest difference. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, offensively, I think it's preference. It's a guy that flows really well with the offense and Jokic passes the ball incredibly well uh, and in, in a unique style, like you mentioned. Um, and Embiid, dominance, power, finesse, and the you know outside shooting and everything that comes with that. Um, but also defensively, Embiid picked up a cheap fifth foul yeah, um, so soft, so super soft. soft. And a couple of the a couple of his fouls early were also uh, pretty cheap. But you know he has to now play off the ball. He's kind of hanging out the block. Immediately sends a shot off the backboard to keep them in the game. Um, and just things you don't see, you just don't see Jokic do those things. Um, so I think when you're talking about where the difference really comes down to, I think uh, defensively is where you see the biggest separation yeah. between the two. Absolutely. And you touched on kind of the the fouls and the whistles. I mean. Embiid is notorious for having a very, very generous whistle, and it's a well-earned reputation, absolutely. But I did not feel that way last night. I felt like the Mm -hmm. he did not get a lot going call. There were a a lot missed that I feel like is either typically called or is often given. The star calls that I think are often given were not there last night, and just the the whistles on him were so quick, and especially that fifth foul. It's like. And I get like you don't want to do situational refereeing, but it's like you're calling a guy's fifth foul on like really nothing, like bodying in the post and that kind of thing. And it's like, sure, like I guess you can squint and call that a foul, but it very impressive the way Embiid like battled the foul trouble, which obviously it, he put himself in, so it's not like a full compliment here. But very impressive to stay impactful defensively. He had two blocks, one steal. The that block, the the late game block was super notable as far as that was right after the fifth foul that we were saying there was just under two minutes to go. And then we were saying like, he probably can't jump in the air the rest of his game until things are decided. And literally the next play he's coming across, jumping and swatting, pinning against the backboard. So that kind of impact. And especially from the center position, I think is just so essential to 
building a team, having a rim protector, and to be able to do everything he does offensively, being the guy that is relied on as the go-to scorer, and to still bring that anchor defensively is so special and so key to what the Sixers do. And the other biggest point, and this to me is the biggest takeaway, like I get the conversation has completely changed since the Harden, change, Harden trade in terms of which team, I guess, is more talent and what's, be- what's better. And I get the Jamal Murray's out, Michael Porter Jr.'s out. There's obviously the Nuggets have battled a lot. The Nuggets roster is constructed so perfectly to what Jokic does as a player. When you think about the athleticism, the cutting, the fluent movement, the way the offense just moves and is active and the way he's able to just find backdoor passes, find cutters, that's perfect for what he does. And I don't feel that way at all about the Sixers. Like the roster has gotten closer to what we need for like an Embiid compliment, but it's still not like optimizing what this guy can do and what he is as a talent in the NBA. And it's so frustrating watching, like, like you said, these are two absolutely special talents and to see Jokic being fully maximized for what he does is so cool. And I just, I think there's more to get out of Embiid if there's a, a supporting cast that just better fits what he does and opens things up in a better way, which frustrated me a great deal. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's something that's going to be addressed hopefully soon. Yeah, uh, this offseason, season. I think is is going to be huge um, for what they do uh, going forward. And you talk about with James Harden, and uh, I think I think there's three guys that are safe uh, on this roster come this off season. Uh, whether your name is Maxi Harden or Embiid, right there on your shirt. Exactly. Yeah. I think those three are the three that are safe. Uh, things are going to get shaken up, I'm pretty sure. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, I also want to point out that Embiid shot three, uh, count them, one, two, three more free throws uh, than Nikola Jokic last night. So you you foul merchant people, uh, the people that claim that Joel Embiid, all he does is he can't score without free throws. He put up, you know, 34 and nine on, on your favorite player without, uh, you know, without going to the line too many times. And he kinda, he probably could have gone more. Um, and he hard fall last night, man. Scary moment, scary moment. That there's we see these often with Joel, where it's just like a heart attack moment. But last night was a big one, where the initial live I thought looked way worse than the replay as far as like how hard the foul was, how they got yeah. caught up. But just as big as that guy is to fall like that, cannot feel good. And obviously, we're coming toward closer to the postseason where rest is going to be more important. Doc Rivers and the Sixers say they have a plan for rest, but we absolutely got to keep these guys keep Joel specifically as healthy as possible, get his full legs ready for the playoffs. And you just never want to see him falling like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, Doc Rivers might have a plan. That doesn't mean I trust it. Um, that's something we're going to talk about a lot later. Cause I got a lot to say about that topic, but uh, to move into James Harden now uh, yeah. near triple double last night, kind of an up and down game. I feel like early on was very good. And then, you know, it moves around. There's, there still seems like he's figuring it out. Um, he's kind of taken steps here and there um, between being an aggressor, being a scorer, and being a facilitator. Uh, what did you see last night, good and bad? We hit, like, the James Harden period. Like, obviously, we know the rep on James Harden and the, the warnings going into this. The first five games here was such the honeymoon period. It's We took this girl home. She's our dream date. We're planning our life with this girl. And then... Now we're getting a couple more dates in and we're just like, oh, I don't know if I completely love that about you. Yeah. I don't know if that's like exactly who I thought you were. And I mean, this is still completely functional. I believe in the James Harden and Philadelphia Sixers relationship. But uh, there you can see where the holes are as far as what he does and why that wouldn't be well liked. And the thing that's so critical to like the way James Harden plays stylistically with the iso ball, with the step back threes is when he's when he's on and playing well. 
he's very, very good. But when he's off and playing not well, he is very, very bad. And I guess for a player of Harden's caliber and in that tier of players that I believe he belongs, his bad games look significantly worse than the other players in that game. When you think about like a, a Kevin Durant or like a Jason Tatum or anybody in that kind of stratosphere, a bad game by their definition is still pretty much like an above average NBA game. Versus Harden, a bad game for him can be like an objectively bad game for an NBA player. And I mean, we saw that in the Nets game, which 0 for 10 on two point attempts, just just a brutal performance there. And some of that was forcing things a lot. There was so much made with that spectacle. So there's a lot of other things going on there. But there are like it's not there are holes in the the dream fit, I guess. And you see, obviously, as we get to our player playoffs, this is where that's all going to matter. But there's things like I wish you can see the mindset. There's things I wish that we could change a little bit. So we're a little past like the honeymoon and starting to see where it's not quite fit. I would like to see more fluent passing. That's the biggest thing. I feel like the ball slowed a lot more of these past couple games. Let's get back to jetting around, swinging around, doing this thing. And he's still trying. I mean, he ended with 11 assists last night, almost a triple double. He still brings a lot to this team, but a little disappointed in the past couple games. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm trying not to dig too deep into these games right now. I know yeah. it's a it's a learning period. Um, the kind of the sheer talent that the Sixers roll out on a nightly basis was enough to beat the Timberwolves and the Knicks, um, and even the Cavaliers um, in those first couple games. And I think we kind of got lost in translation there, where it's like, okay, there is a learning curve here, uh, especially yeah. playing with you know two ball dominant guys that are you know James Harden needs the ball in his hands to be effective. Uh, a lot of the time, Joel Embiid needs the ball in his hands to be effective a lot of the time. Uh, we saw Tobias Harris have a really good night against Orlando. Um, but then on, on the flip side, not a great night last night. Uh, Tyrese Maxey has been gone from really good to completely non-existent to playing well again. Uh, I think it's going to be this kind of this period of time. And I know that it's kind of sounds a little bit like soft. I'm not like I, with how poorly they've played over the last like, you know, this weekend stretch thursday to last night um i it sucks and it's really difficult to kind of digest but i i don't i'm not like panicking i'm not hitting the panic button yet um that being said i mean like you said uh the the ball has become slow and heavy uh you don't have to just pick and roll every play it's the only thing that they're they're doing um i think Embiid in the short roll has a lot to learn uh, because he gets there with a lot of opportunity and he needs to be able to make those split uh, split second decisions. Obviously, something that he's not totally used to doing. That's not not a, an issue he's ever had to deal with. James yeah. Harden is getting completely iced immediately on the screens. He has no chance when and when a B comes up to to set that screen. The last two or against the Nets and last night, uh, they're taking him out of the play completely. I think that's a fundamental strat uh, strategical position that Doc needs to figure out as well. Yeah. Um, but I think there's things that they can all fix uh, going forward. 24, 11 and nine last night. He was six of 11 from the field. He hasn't been shooting the ball very well, which I think is hurting his offense. For sure. Um, but, the, you know, those things come and go. So hopefully, you know, we're, we're hitting that stride later in this month, you know, into next month. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not I'm not too worried right now. Yeah. I, I mean, he is a hot and cold player in terms of like, we're banking on for the Sixers to have a successful playoff run. 
the mindset for this year specifically is banking on the high level of Embiid and Harden being enough to cover up for everything else that's wrong mm-hmm. with this team. And the only way that happens if Harden hits like a hot streak at the right time and kind of similar to Embiid, although he's more consistent in the way that he does it and obviously attacking inside, he does more to consistently get there. Harden can just be off, off in a way that doesn't necessarily help the team. Uh, kind of what I just kind of referenced, like the Embiid bad game is still above average for a normal player versus Harden is not. There's bigger issues with this Sixers team than James Harden. Like, I, I, I still buy into he's a fine piece, a fine fitting piece. The weaknesses other where, uh, other where on this, other places in this roster are where I'm way more concerned. And that's the lack of athleticism on the wings. The backup center position is a real issue. I mean, DeAndre Jordan has me missing Dwight Howard at this point. Like, I, I he is beyond washed and it's, it's so depressing to see, and especially after last game, like Doc Rivers talking about how good he's been with the team. It's like, dude, are you watching the same game? And it's, I mean, the numbers, looking at him on the court specifically, yeah, the eye test certainly backs it up. And when you look at the numbers, in the minutes he was there, he ended with minus 30, he's minus 13 in 51 minutes as the Sixers. The Sixers are getting outscored 13.6 points per 100, per 100 possessions with him on the court and are getting outscored 22.71 points per possession in Jordan's minutes with Harden, which that's the exact time where you're looking to capitalize. The mindset behind it was he is the lap threat. He's the guy that Harden can get the ball to, and he just doesn't have the legs anymore. Like, he's not the Clippers DeAndre Jordan. This is the guy barely hanging on to his career. And now, granted, the Sixers have gone through the same process. Like, it's the same kind of mindset with the signing as Dwight Howard. Drummond a little different because he was younger, because he's more in his prime. But, like... Dwight had more left in the tank than I think DeAndre Jordan does. And that hurts to say. And it's especially frustrating when you look at the Sixers roster and we've got Charles Bassey, Paul Reed. Obviously, we tried the Paul Millsap experiment a little bit, but Bassey and Reed have to be screaming. Bassey specifically, I don't understand why we can't just give him a run. Like, what's the harm in just trying what this guy can do? And there were flashes this year, uh, earlier in the year when it was the COVID against time. the Nuggets. Yeah, where he looked good against the Nuggets. Against yeah. the Nuggets. So it's it's crazy to me to keep trying this and I, I don't expect it to change i think doc's gonna keep riding with jordan and hope for the best but it's incredibly frustrating to me to just watch this keep happening and i mean the bench as a whole is just not good enough yeah um i want to hold off on the on the bench conversation because i want to kind of lump that in together with doc rivers uh, i do want to touch really quick on the nets game yeah um just because there's i mean so i just want to give some initial thoughts uh my overview and then get over it because i think that's really what what needs to happen uh with that game a ton of hype a ton of conversations yeah. it's the only thing on anyone's mind it's the main thing uh in the nba on a thursday night uh it's everything you can ask for as a team as a player as an organization this these are the nights that you live for during the regular season and you basically walk out and piss your pants uh and just keep your wet draws on for the entire night that's basically the way that i see the sixers uh, having played that night um defensively sometimes it's difficult to stop KD and Kyrie sometimes it is and and on Thursday night it, it absolutely was but there's some fundamental issues uh with the way that they play defense yeah i i can't fathom walking out onto that court and, and feeling lazy i can't fathom them not coming out prepared uh i know it's something that's plagued them for uh some time now even with Harden uh, almost specifically with Harden uh, coming out and it just seems like they assumed they were going to win. It just looked like they assumed things were going to be easy. I've talked about the entitlement of this team, uh, the entitlement of a team 
that I never saw before Doc Rivers. I I never felt that way uh, before his arrival here. And now it's constant. Uh, they feel like they're owed something. They feel like they just walk out and it should happen. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of that type of play. Uh, last night was the exact opposite. They came out firing. Uh, but Thursday night against the Nets, man, um, everyone was too concerned about a guy wearing a Louis Vuitton hockey jersey. And I don't give a shit anymore, man. Like, th- this is a team that you're going to walk up and face. And you let Kyrie strap up on, on James Harden, which is ridiculous. Yeah. You let the personal issues between these two teams get in the way while they put their foot on your neck. And I think as a loss, it's one thing to lose that game is one thing to get your ass beat and walk out with your tail between your legs is another. And I was just really disappointed and disgusted at the way that they not only played, but the way they carried themselves throughout that game. And Bede was the only one that he gave a shit really. Um, And that's, that's incredibly frustrating, especially when there's as much anticipation for that game as there was. Yeah, I'm normally a like in a blowout game, wash it off, forget it, move on. There's some real takeaways from this game. Like schematically, which you kind of touched on, it's absurd the things that the Sixers defense is doing and uh, specifically against a team against the Nets. Like well, I mean, first off, Seth Curry, who you guys have played with for the past two seasons, we're going under on every screen, we're giving him three-pointers and we're not isolating and attacking with Tyrese Maxey one-on-one on the offensive end. Like Ending with four points in the game is insane with Seth Curry as your primary defender. Like, why is that not? We've seen Seth Curry cannot guard an NBA player. Like, I don't think there's a player in this league where I feel good about him in a one-on-one matchup. And not to exploit that with the guy who's the third threat in our offense is crazy. And defensively, so much drop coverage that you just simply can't do against the Nets. Like, Kevin Durant was just walking in the mid-range jumpers. And it's like, he's Kevin Durant, man. Like, this isn't just your average whatever. You're just giving him mid-range jumpers. That's not going to cut it. And that's not going to work. And Sixers got punched in the mouth right off the the rip from that game and just never fought back. And I agree with what you said a lot. It's it's so unique. Like, it just, you never know what team's showing up right now. Like, same with the Magic game. Uh, that Same thing. They just didn't show up at the start. They kind of had the same feeling. We can sleepwalk through. Versus you look at yesterday, and obviously it turned out a loss, but they came in ready to go in that game and the first quarter looked terrific with how the ball was moving how the offense flowed it was like they were awake and you have to get that on an everyday basis and doc's comments after the game for that he said like if we're having the same issue in april then i'll be concerned it's like well it's gonna be a little too late then if we're having those issues then so. it's also march 15th yeah so like, like <laughs> there's like 15 games to the playoffs and we're just still not acting like it's a big deal that that's a casual thing so I, and the tone is absolutely set by, by Doc Rivers. You're you're right about that as well. And so much of it is just like I'm I'm over the like I know better. The I know more ball than you. I've been around basketball so long. It's like, dude, these are real concerns. Like you have to have answers to these questions. And I I don't have any confidence that he's going to switch up the scheme. I mean, I get how much drop coverage we play because of Embiid. What he does best is protect the basket. But you have to adjust when you're playing teams who have players that you have to adjust for. Kevin Durant is a player. You have to make changes to your game plan in order to better defend. Like, he's that caliber of player that you simply do that. And, and like, that's a pretty obvious one. It's like this guy is a universal top five guy in the league. You make changes to better impact your team. And I don't have confidence that. And that's that's a tough going into closer and closer playoffs. Yeah, and especially with a guy that you know is not only capable but willing uh, to be a perimeter defender. We've seen Joel Embiid do it on a number of occasions. There's some nights where that's just going to have to be the case. Um, But there's also times like last night I was getting so pissed off because 
they would just switch when they didn't need to. And then it causes a mismatch, and then the defense has to scramble, and then someone ends up with an open basket. Yeah. And, like, I, I think there's this in-between that they have to find, and I don't know whose job it is to figure that out. It's damn sure not mine. Um, but I know for a fact that there's something that, like, you have to change something. Um, and they've been, like, fairly hesitant to do that, which, you know, I don't understand whether that's, you know, changing the defensive aspect. I mean, offensively, though, like – they went from playing all this great offense, moving the ball, swinging it, attacking the defense, um, you know, attacking mismatches, attacking, you know, weak side coverage. Rather than doing that, you decide, okay, tonight we're going to just isolate James from 30 feet. We're going to, you know, isolate Joel and that's it. We're going to allow these teams to collapse on them. Like when Nick Claxton comes in the ball game, I don't know what to tell you, but you got to figure out a way to exploit that. He mm. can't hold Joel Embiid. Like Andre Drummond can't either, but at least there's some physical uh pushback there. Nick Claxton can't hold Embiid. He can't. Uh, yeah. no one on that, you know, no no interior defender over there can. And you got to figure out a way way to deal with that. Uh you got to figure out a way to counteract their offense cuz they're going to be a potent offense no matter if you catch them in March, April, May or June. It doesn't matter. Uh they're going to be there. Kevin Durant is still going to be a goddamn good scorer now or in three weeks or in four months. It doesn't matter. Kyrie, same thing. Seth Curry, same thing. You've got to figure out a way to attack them and to either match or, you know, outplay them offensively, which I doubt. Uh, but you got to figure out defensively how to slow them down and offensively how to not look like a bunch of, like, kids out there. They look yeah. scared. I'm sick and tired of this team looking scared. Like same thing in the last minute last night. How many times have we watched this team go down the stretch and look like they don't know what a single thing to do? You're and professionals and you're being led by a guy that's, you know, he knows ball. He's been in the game for 30 years. Maybe figure out how to get your offense to slow down and be patient, but also make the right play with less than 2 minutes left because it's happened for 2 years. They look terrified. And James, you know, you know what this symbol means, right? You know what this sign I'm not sure if Doc Rivers is aware because to swallow a timeout with the game on the line down that, that in a play that results with the George Niang three that hits off the side of the backboard and then yeah. ends with some weird floater that the ball gets spiked off his head after just about as bad as that possession could have gone. It's like I get playing it out. I, I'm always I'm always more I would prefer to just get organized, draw something up like. And there's a lot of stuff to nitpick in that final possession, which I, I don't like to overdo because it's obviously hard in that moment. There's so much happening right there. You have to make such quick decisions on the spot. But I don't understand the logic behind not calling a timeout, get organized. Like, the Sixers weren't exactly, like, flowing offensively at this point. It's not like like we're getting everything we want. It's like, let's take a moment. And in the night before to the Magic game, the play that Doc did draw up, like, the end of game before going to overtime was – we give it to Joel. Everybody stands around and watches for 10 seconds. They bring the double, which they brought the double right away. So it wasn't exactly new. And then with like three seconds left, MB drops back to Maxi, who chucks up a half quarter to attempt to win the game. It's like, that's our end of play. That's what we draw up. And I get the play was pretty much like give it to Joel and get out of the way. And some of this is on Joel for not reading the double quick enough, not making it happen quick enough. But there just has to be better. Like, it, there has to be more. There, it, It's so like... I, it's the same thing every time and it's so frustrating and I, I feel like I'm just seeing like more and more weaknesses in like the game plan of Doc Rivers and this is the time where like 
this is what I'm judging you on. And and when we look towards the past, when we think think about everything we nitpicked as far as rotations and everything, this is now the top end talent is there. You need to coach this up to win the games, win the margins, find ways to win. And he's not. It's not happening. These to drop last night after leading 19 hurts to go to overtime as a magic against the magic is as good of a loss in a back-to-back forcing all the star starters to play 40 plus minutes that just cannot happen and it, there's just so much and when i'm looking ahead to the playoffs like i've been kind of in the like eyeing matchups who do i want who who's a better sixers look like that all our issues are stuff we have to look in the mirror and fix this is things within the own sixers team that are issues it doesn't matter who the matchup is is these need to fix regardless of who the sixers play and until that happens, like I'm losing a lot of confidence in the hopes of uh, any real postseason run. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. There's eight, really eight very good teams uh, in the East. And with the Nets kind of playing uh, caboose here, you no matter where you land, you're going to play a good team. Uh, yeah. So you play who's in front of you and you worry about yourself. Uh, so I don't know, man. That's not something I want to get into yet. We still have a little bit of time left. And again, I know there's this baseline, right? Um, and something that Doc does end up talking about is like, you know, you can't, this is the NBA. Uh, you don't get to script everything. And I understand that. Uh, but when you walk into Orlando's gym and you're looking at the 17 and 51 Orlando Magic and you look at yourself and you say, this is going to take an extra five minutes uh, to beat them. It's going to take a Tobias Harris three in the final 30 <laughs> seconds of the extra five minutes to beat this team. Uh, that's when you can, you know, you look at the problems. We, we saw Doc lose his mind uh, in Toronto earlier this year um, when asked about if, you know, if he was disappointed in the win or I forget exactly what the question was or, you know, did you expect to win by more? And he lost it. Um, maybe this is, you know, frustration builds up when you're asked the same questions. But if you stop doing the same thing, uh, you won't get asked the same questions. Yeah. I have a I have a real I have a, I have a genuine issue with Doc Rivers, um, just you know his coaching style, uh, but also the way that he approaches the game. And I know I talked about it a bit earlier, uh, the nonchalant attitude, the oh, I've been around forever. He complains more than any coach I ever see I've ever seen in my life, and that that trickles down. Don't think it doesn't. Um, you know, just just the. I don't know. If you, I'm sure you saw his his comments after the game, um, kind of about Joel being tired and wanting to come out. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I did see that. You know, I, I don't even know what to say to you, man. You're he's the only reason you're living and breathing right now. Um, so to to even think for a second that it's okay uh, to make some like any sort of comment like that, and I'm sure Embiid is a professional, uh, consummate pro, a guy that I'm sure did not take offense to that. To me, it's bullshit. It's bullshit to look at that and say, okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stray away from any blame, any personal responsibility for this loss tonight, which clearly I had a I had a part in. One, because I screwed up, but two, because I'm the goddamn head coach. Um, so every loss I have a part in. That bothers me. That really bothers me. Um, and I think genuinely I one of my friends texted me today and asked me, uh, if I had confidence in the Sixers going into the playoffs. And I said, I think they have the talent. I'm not confident in the head coach. And genuinely, I do not know if Doc Rivers can win an NBA championship in 2022. I don't know if he was ever deserving to win one, to be honest. Um, but 
I don't think that he's capable of doing it. And that's what really concerns me more than anything else. Because if you can't figure out how to win with this roster, I don't know what to tell you, man. There's there's not much more left out there. You can't get more talented than the guys that they have right now. Um, so if you think you need another superstar, another, you know, all NBA caliber player, that's, you know, you got to look in the mirror here. You got to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect roster. Like, the the no, hole but... there in terms of, like, the lack of athleticism jumps off the page against every single team we match up with. Like, there's guys that just, like, are more switchable, can out-rebound, can just d- defend better. Like, I was watching the, the Bulls lost to the Kings last night. There was a play where the late in game, Zach Levine drives down and Harrison Barnes. It was, like, three straight plays where Harrison Barnes altered or blocked uh, Zach Levine's shot. And it's like... Tell me when Tobias Harris has ever done that. And I don't want to dig Toby into this because we've gotten some good Toby lately. But um, even just looking at the bench, like there's no wings. There's no guys. There's no guys that can just be a complete basketball player. We have so many mis- mix and match pieces that we're trying to form. It's like Matisse can defend but can't play offense. And great Matisse game last night, by the way. But Matisse can defend, can't play offense. Furkan can shoot, but actually not this year. Shea can handle the ball a little, but not do a lot else. And uh, George Niang, like obviously a bad game last night. George Niang is the only impact bench player that the Sixer team have, and that's bananas for uh, a contending team. That George Niang is like the the solve all, throw him out there. And I love George Niang. I, I'm wiping away last night. He's been so good all season. Like obviously last night sucked, didn't go well, but he's still a vital part of this team and huge for what he's done. Uh, back to the coaching, it's so I'll put it this way: Do you have any? faith that the Sixers will move on from Rivers what's your confidence level in that I unfortunately I I don't think they do um one because I think they're committed to this contract that he has um but two I I don't know who you replace him with I don't like I don't think there's any high level guys that are you know walking into into free agency as a coach this offseason I mean I, I guess we could go down the list and talk about it but like to me genuinely I I and I mean this wholeheartedly um doc rivers was hired here before daryl morey as we know right. um that was a hey look at us we have doc rivers this was a 76ers organization saying we need some attraction here we need some big names we want to be a big market team uh and doc rivers was the coach the, uh, he's a recognizable name he's a notable coach he's been around forever um it felt like more of that type of move than anything else and i i think that they're committed to that unfortunately i don't, I don't think they move on yeah, they I, should. I, I agree they should. I think the thing that does give me hope is, like you said, Rivers was here before Maury. Like, Maury, Rivers is not necessarily like a Maury guy. And I would feel so gross if it's Mike D'Antoni. I don't want that at all. No. And it also hurts to watch Ty Lue be, who is a tremendous coach and continues to look tremendous in what he does with the Clippers and terrific basketball mind, way more creative than, <laughs> than Doc Rivers is showing to be. And, uh, that definitely hurts, especially in like the the aspect of how that all went down in LA and how everything happened there, and we ended up with Doc Rivers out of it. But um, as far as this team specifically, I mean, uh, the, how I feel about Rivers is a little bit of just the game has come and gone for him. Like I I think there was a time where he was a fine coach, he did his job. I don't feel that way right now, and I, I think there's a, a major aspect of Doc kind of being over it, being ready to not hanging up, but at least kind of. He, he would rather be on the golf course than thinking up fourth quarter plays. And that's pretty evident in what we're seeing on the Sixers team. And this is kind of the biggest concern is how things are managed. Cause as, as much as there are holes in this roster, there's holes in this team. It absolutely can be juiced out in a way that can 
produce more wins and find ways to cut the margins, win ones where we shouldn't, not lose ones that we should, like not lose the games that we shouldn't lose and that kind of thing. And I don't think it's changing anytime soon. And it's very disappointing to kind of realize all this. Yeah. I mean, I think back, they should have went, they should have got Billy Donovan. Should have got JB Bickerstaff. Like, I don't know what the, like how to even look at this and, you know, I don't know. It's just frustrating. Like you said, I think the game is at a different point right now. And, you know, the addition of James Harden is helpful in creating a more modern styled offense. Um, but still, like, I don't know. To, to me, it's it's just very frustrating to see, like, the lack of adjustments. Um, and then I think, honestly, more of it is just, like, his attitude and the, the way that he carries himself really kind of impacts the way the team carries themselves. And I think they've done a great job with the culture here. And I do think that is, a you know, something he does a great job in. And they've done it like a really good they're really connected. You can see that this team really likes each other and that they do a really good job of being together. But like, I don't know. And to, and to look at this, let's talk about the bench briefly before we wrap this up. And I know uh, we touched on it. Like the refusal, just the absolute refusal and the stubborn nature of Doc Rivers um, to have ever looked past a guy that's not 30 plus off the bench. Like Danny Green was ass last night. And, you know, it's okay to have an open rotation. Like you said, it's not middle of the April yet, so you don't have to be concerned. Give Isaiah Joe a shot. Like, for Christ's sake, give Charles Bassey a look. Give Paul Reed a look. Like, I don't know. Like, there was literally a play last night where I th- I actually laughed because it was it was hysterical. Um, the, slow, the second slowest guy on the court, Nikola Jokic, was being guarded by the slowest guy on the court, DeAndre Jordan. And the ball got swung to the corner, and DJ just stood there and looked. And Nikola Jokic blew past him, <laughs> ran right in front of him to the rim and got a layup. And then DeAndre Jordan looks back. Oh, my bad. Really? Uh, <laughs> like, we're talking about, like, this is real-life basketball now. And I was watching the Up and Smoke podcast with Matt Barnes and um, whoever else. I forget. Uh, Steven Jackson. Steven Jackson, yeah. And they were talking about how, like, there's no more, like, old guys on the rosters anymore. Um, mostly because like they don't value guys that are just like good bench guys. I think DeAndre Jordan is a very good bench guy. I'm sure he's a very good locker room guy. It seems like he's done a good job, like kind of jumping into the culture and being a part of that. I don't mind that. He's the fifth center, the fifth guy that has center on the roster. You're talking about Embiid, DeAndre Jordan, Paul Millsap, Charles Bassey, Paul Reed. You can't have that. You can't have that. You have you. And I don't even know where to start that. You want to keep Bassey and you want to keep Paul Reed, but for what? For what yeah. purpose? If you're not going to play them, if you're not even going to give them a look, what's the purpose? You're going to have Isaiah Joe on the roster. He has zero chance to play. And the two games that he did play, he was fine. Yeah, you know, he was just fine. Oh, uh, but Danny Green's back, so you know, you know, keep, you know, you don't even tie your shoes tonight, Isaiah. You know, keep the slippers on because you're not going to touch the court. Like I just don't understand that. I really don't. Yeah, and I mean, like. To have four backups for your best player, who's Joel Embiid. <laughs> like, if Joel Embiid goes down, everything's already over. The season's yeah. like nothing. We're not winning anything if Embiid gets hurt. So to have like four backups for him, I, I don't understand the logic. And I mean, it's the same thing with the, this model of DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond, and guys that are basically just verse, worse versions of Joel Embiid. And that's just not, I, I don't agree with that mindset. Joel does so much for the Sixers team that putting a guy in a position to just be like the worst version of him. It's just not going to be effective. And 
that's what's had me screaming for Paul Reed for so long is I get he's weird. I get he does weird things, but it's different in the respect that he's more switchable. He can cover guards. He can guard on the perimeter. And it's just a different look for this team in a way that they haven't tried. And sure, um, he's probably not ready, but a product of him not being ready is because he hasn't had the opportunity to develop. And he can already be the man at the G League. He He's figured out how to do that. He's figured out how to be the G League MVP, do all these things. What yeah. he needs to learn is being a role player in an NBA team. Like, there's no harm in giving him five to ten minutes a game. Try him here. Do that. I genuinely believe he would have gotten more out of that in terms of the, his overall career trajectory than just letting him continue to be the guy in the G League and throw up 15 shots a game and throw up four three-pointers a game in G League because that's never going to be Paul Reed in the NBA. That's not going to be his role. He's not a, going to be a superstar NBA player. But what he can be is an effective role player. And to start developing on that track would be so much more impactful for the Sixers team. And to think about playoffs specifically, like if we play DeAndre Jordan in the playoffs, which I think is pretty much a lock at this point, Teams are going to isolate him, put him on an island, and score every single time. Versus if there was the development of Reed to where he could get to the point where he's serviceable in those minutes, I at least think that there's a fighting chance there. Like, I have no confidence in Jordan being the guy. I think we're going to see some Amir Johnson-esque kind of plus-minus numbers with this DeAndre Jordan. And I don't want to bring up, like, the trade because, like, you obviously have to trade Drummond for that. And Drummond was a very not important part of this team, but a very uh, solid addition to this team and brought a lot to the Sixers team. And like, again, you have to do that trade, but I, it's just the, just not knowing what we have in Bassine Reed, I guess what it is, what is especially frustrating to me. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is the unknown that bothers us the most, but mm -hmm. like, I just, I really can't, I really don't get it. I mean, and maybe I'm missing something. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, put myself up in this echelon of people that knows enough about basketball where I can tell a head coach to do what uh, his job, but it just makes no sense to me that you have two guys that like the style of play in the NBA. Now it's pick and roll heavy. You're going to get isolated. It's going to, you know, you're going to pick guys out. It's basically LeBron, you know, you point a guy, bring him to me. I want to attack him. Yeah. That's going to happen to Deandre Jordan. Every all the time, all the time. Um, and offensively, what does he do? Like, he doesn't do anything. He shot one you know? of six from last night. He was one of six from the floor for a guy that, like, doesn't leave the paint area. <laughs> and, like, he can't catch lobs anymore. He can't jump. Charles Bassey can, and he can play good defense, and he can switch, and he's lengthy and athletic. Um, Paul Reed, like, I would have loved to see Paul Reed play last night. I would have loved to see Paul Reed play against the Nets more than he did. Like look good against you, the Nets. You Obviously need a guy, time, but he looked good. Yeah. You need a guy that can switch. You need a guy that can play perimeter, that can, you know, get rebounds. That's an unafraid, will attack, will play like I would have given I would have given Paul Reed a shot on KD. He tried he'll try his ass off. That like, he'll try his ass off and he he's wiry and like passionate enough to do whatever he can. So I don't know. It's I think it's it's I think it's a shame that we only get to see those guys when there's literally no other option. Um, and, you know, River says, oh, I'm confident I can go 11 guys deep. And it's like, that's going to be awesome to see. Like, we paid Danny Green, paying DeAndre Jordan. I just, I don't, I don't understand uh, when you have other options. And I think when you're looking at this team, and I can't, I really have a hard time believing uh, that Daryl Morey could be looking at DeAndre Jordan playing basketball and say, this is what I want. That seems like the opposite. 
by far, like far and away from what Daryl Morey visions as a, as a good, efficient basketball player. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, what is going on anymore. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, morale has hit a low. I mean, there's still hope for this team. Like the Sixers yeah. are not out. We're still sitting third place in the East. Still looking pretty good as far as like when there's Joel Embiid, there's a chance. If Harden gets hot, there's absolutely still a chance. But the the game plan, like this roster is for sure incomplete. And Daryl Morey will be on the clock this offseason to find guys that fully complement it. And even when looking at these two specifically, like it's gotten closer, like I said, to being guys that complement them. But like things are still so crowded in their two-man game in the pick and roll. Like guys just don't respect Matisse's jumper. Uh, fade off Toby even it's it's not optimized for them and there has to be a complete uphaul in getting guys that can optimize these two if Embiid and Harden to be the duo and be the top end talent which that's where our chips are they're in the middle on this at this point you got to figure out how to make it work more so it's going to be a big offseason obviously I still hope they can compete this playoffs uh, but the roster is complete as it, uh, incomplete as it stands should have went and got Josh Hart when you had the chance. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, gonna hold off on the free agency and the, and the offseason talk. We'll get there. We'll definitely yeah. get there. Um, but again, I think when you're looking at this, I think it's efficiency and athleticism is is what you look for this offseason to, to surround these this team with. So um, we'll wrap it up here as a good, you know, kind of a little therapy session. That's what we yeah. do. But um, the Sixers do get back in action tomorrow night in Cleveland. Uh, who they did beat earlier, what is it, two weeks ago, with James Harden. So they have a little bit of history there. They have a chance to, you know, kind of stay back on track. Are they still second in the East, or are they third now? Uh, the Bucks won last night, so we're down to third. Down to yeah. third. Again, seeding I don't think is, you know, too much of an yeah. importance right now, but, again, something we can talk about down the stretch. Uh, so before we get out of here, you can follow Sean at Sean underscore Bernard1. You can follow me at jsprain 17 Follow the pod at Pixwap Pod. Check out the YouTube iTunes, Spotify, whatever you do to get your podcast. Make sure you check out BetUS and use our code PICKSWAP. We'll talk to you guys later in the week.